What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast with your host, yours Shirley Jai Shields, here on this Wednesday, December the 8th, the year 2021. Lots to do, lots to talk about here on this midweek program. Recap week 13 of the National Football League uh, and all the happenings that was over this past weekend as far as the National Football League is concerned. Uh, the college football playoff top four were announced on Sunday. Give you my two cents on that as uh, we got a, a little bit away until we get the uh, final four of the college football playoff uh, at the end of the month of December. Give you my two cents on that. Monday Night Football recap, we will discuss my Bengals. We will discuss the Ravens and Steelers game from a Sunday afternoon that came down to the wire we will discuss uh but a very busy and a and a football on another one of your football oriented programs here on this uh midweek program here on uh what's hopefully your favorite sports talk podcast but where we begin is uh what we will be, where we will begin here in the opening monologue do a little bit something different with the theme here on the four games I'm going to discuss here at the top. And the theme here is teams uh, uh, that are making, or at least heading into week 13, were making uh, pushes for a wild card spot. So I, so I either, I either Vikings, Washington. Now Washington, you know, if you want to wishful thinking, say they can get to get win the division. Washington has a better chance of making the playoffs as a sixth seed than they do winning in the division. Let's just call it like we see it. But Washington, the 49ers. And uh, there's another team I'm forgetting. The uh, the Miami Dolphins, who you know, on a chick wing and a prayer could somehow, some way, steal a playoff spot uh, in the AFC if everything goes their way. So those are the uh, those are the four teams we will address. Hit the top, then take a break, then get to the Ravens and Steelers game and Monday Night Football, and then go on from there about our merry way. Um, but uh, you know the Minnesota Vikings, who play who have a Thursday night game coming up against Pittsburgh on Thursday of this week, you know, lost the game that they had no business losing, uh, 29-27 to against the Detroit Lions. I mean, that is just an absolutely horrendous and horrific, horrific performance by the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday. Their defense was just absolutely pathetic. I mean, they allowed Jared Goff to march down to feel like it was nobody's business. I mean, I, I had to, I had to check, make sure, you know, I, I had to rub my eyes, I had to double and do a double take and make sure I wasn't watching, you know, tapes of the 2018 NFC Championship game because, because, because literally that's the best I've seen Jared Goff play. In uh, and you know, in in close games and in do or die situations and do or die moments and get that's the best I've seen him play since the eighteen championship. I mean, I gotta be honest. I mean, he his he was he missed about he missed about a couple throws in the sequence of that drive, but you know, get and give credit to the Lions' offensive line. It did an absolutely phenomenal job. Uh, blocking form made the right made the perfect reads. Put the ball right, you know, put the ball uh, just. Right there into his receivers, all into his receivers' hands. Uh, you know, his receivers did an excellent job of uh, of get, of catching the ball and getting out of bounds and having the wherewithal, knowing you know, knowing the time, knowing the time. Uh, the, you know, knowing that they that they were thin on timeouts. 
uh, knowing the uh, sets of circumstance, how close they were to, how close they were to, you know, they were because they were down uh, 27 to 23. So they needed a touchdown and knowing at the area in the field, okay, I got to catch the ball, get out of bounds. Uh, you know, I gotta catch the ball, get what I can, and if this, and if it's nothing there, I gotta hurry up and scurry out of bounds, and and yeah, they it was just an absolutely phenomenal drive all the way around by the uh, by the Detroit Lions, phenomenal routes by the wide receivers running, you know, catching a ball outside the numbers, just an absolutely remarkable job all the way around by the Detroit Lions who got themselves their first win in nearly a full 365. Uh, calendar year, uh, getting their first win against the Vikings on Sunday. An absolutely phenomenal job by them. Jared Goff during that final drive, just best I've seen him play in quite a in, in, in quite a while. To be quite honest with you, I mean, just uh, missed a couple of throws and and he threw and he threw one pass that could have been the that could have been the coup de gras, and you'd be looking at all eleven one for Detroit, but. And they'd go and they'd go officially a full year without a win, but uh, so he got lucky on a couple of bad throws. But for the most part, he absolutely he, he methodical drive. Uh, yeah, wide receivers did a phenomenal job getting open. Now, it wasn't that hard for the Detroit Lions wide receivers to get open because of the absolutely pathetic, and go back to the Vikings, the weak, soft zone that the Vikings defense were in throughout the entire sequence of that drive. I'm like, guys, 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 you, you got you got to get you got to get off the zone defense here. You know, you, you barely generated, you you know, outside of Harrison Smith on the safety blitz, rushing one golf throw in the sequence of that drive. You did not muster up much of, much of a pass rush throughout that sequence of the, of the final drive there at the end. Jacob had all day to throw, and all of the, and your and your quarterbacks are playing you know five yards off the receiver. For what reason? And then you know, the, and then the Jared Goff, the same Brown, and the game. You know, the the the, the uh, defensive backs for Detroit were out the lunch, and and uh, and allowed Jared Goff just enough space for him to throw that to for him to throw that uh, seed into the tight window and hits and hits St. Brown right on right in between the numbers, catches the ball, and his ball game over. An absolutely horrendous job by the Vikings. And if the Viking and regardless what happens this season, it's should be the end of Mike Zimmer because they, because this reflects on him. You know the Vikings have been in, have been in, in way too many. They played they're now they're not a bad team. They're a competitive team, but they've been in way too many instances throughout the course of the season where the game was there to be had either for their offense or their defense to choke to choke on their own spit down the stretch and blow the game. You want to go back to Dalvin Cook's fumble in week one against the Bengals in overtime. You want to go to the fact that. You want to go to the fact, uh, you know, where the uh, where the Viking where the Vikings uh, missed a field goal against against the Cardinals shortly, you know, shortly thereafter. You want to go back to um, in week two, the the week after. You want to go uh, to when they played Cleveland and they lost the game by a touchdown. You want to go to. Uh, and you want to go to Carolina, uh, in which they allowed that game go into over. They, they won the game, but they allowed that game go, to go into overtime against the Panthers. You want to go to you want to go to the Cowboy game where they allowed uh, where they allowed Cooper Rush to march down the field. No Dak Prescott with a with a bad uh with a calf injury allowed Cooper Rush to march down the field and find Ceedee Lamb in the back of the end zone to score to score a game winning touchdown with under a minute left on. 
on October the on on Halloween night. You want to go back to that? You want to go back to when you uh, intercepted Lamar Jackson in overtime? All for you guys to, to piss it away and flush it down the toilet, allowing the Ravens to get uh to get redemption and they march down the field, but set up Justin Tucker and uh and uh field goal range and all of a sudden and you blank and it's 34-31 Baltimore on November the 7th when the uh when the when the Vikings should have marched down the field as soon as they picked off Lamar on the opening drive of the overtime period uh and and this is after and and you know they've be- they've beaten they've beaten Green Bay it's just it's, something's got to something's got to change with the Vikings. You know they cannot continue to play and not continue to win games like this. You just or not not win games, but you cannot continue to to play football like this. You just can't. Uh, the defense was just laxed and was soft throughout the Steelers' final drive. Outside of you know uh, one or two play one or two instances, barely generated a pass rush and made a Jared Goff sweat a little bit. Uh, during the uh, fi- during that final minute or so uh, in the game on Sunday, just a horrendous job by the Vikings. They fall to five and seven on the year, essentially playing for their season come Thursday night against uh, Pittsburgh in their own building. While the Vikings get themselves off the schneid again, first win in nearly an entire calendar year for them. They end their fifteen game winless streak, their nine game home losing streak, and Jared Goff wins his first. Uh, wins his, uh, you know, snaps the streak of uh, of uh, winless games without Sean McVay as his head coach. His uh, 12-game winless streak and starts the longest by a cute, by a number one overall drafted quarterback in the common draft era since 67. So we get the Vikings and the Lions. That's item number one. Item number two is the uh, is the Miami Dolphins. And this po- and this point. Albeit the Lions are chicken wing, or not the Lions, but the Dolphins, for them to make the playoffs is a chicken wing and a prayer, and they've you know and they've uh, shocked and they've shocked Lord after they had a horrendous start to the season. All hope was lost, and all all it took was for them to play the Ravens on a short week, and they you know along uh, mix in mix in with that, mix in you know dominating the, the garbage in the uh, in the AFC, and all of a sudden they are only a game up there. They're four and three at home, which is which is the more impressive. Thing they're now above 500 at home. They're six and get they're six and seven a game below 500, and uh, you know if all breaks right, they could get the seventh seed. And you know they would they you know they finish no better than ten and seven, but it, the but the Miami Dolphins have a very slim and it is slim and it's a very slim chance of making the playoffs and getting that seven seed in the AFC. And if they do, what a remarkable job by uh, Brian Flores and the crew uh, as they beat the Giants twenty to nine on Sunday on Sunday afternoon. Tua Tagovailoa give him tremendous credit and he has improved. It hasn't gotten a lot of attention, but he has improved. Proved that he's shown signs of promise. You know the you know staying on the field is what would concern you, but he has absolutely. But he you know he's beginning. To, if if you don't think Tua Tagovailoa you know won't make it as NFL starting quarterback, you're not paying attention. Forty or excuse me, thirty or forty one, two hundred and forty four passing yards, two touchdown passes in the game, uh, and uh, and get a load of this stat, which I found to be interesting as well. Did you know that Tua? Okay, Tua. And his last has Tua Tagovailoa has the longest active streak of games this season with a hundred plus passer rating at four. No one else in the NFL even has two straight. 
Now, I understand, you know, it's that it's that gimmicky passer rating stat. Who cares? Still, if he wasn't, if he wasn't able to throw the football, I mean, he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be up there in, in, on that list. You just call like we say. He's done an absolutely phenomenal job as of late for the Dolphins. You know, it's coming off... I mean, Coming off the bench when Jacoby Brissett hurt his knee against the Ravens back in November, he essentially has not looked back since. You go and look at how Tua's played the last couple of games. Uh, coming off the bench in relief against Baltimore, he was 8 of 13. Uh, he was 8 of 13, 6-1% complete percentage in the game, had a quarterback rating of 104. Um, and then in the next game against the Jets, he was 27 for 33, his best game of the season. And I understand it's the Jets, they stink. But 27 to 33, thrown for 273 passing yards, 81% completion percentage through two touchdowns, one interception. He was 27 to 31 against Carolina, threw for 230, 87% completion. Now, it's not he's throwing the ball, you know, 10, 12, 15, 18, 21 times. You know, he's throwing, he's throwing the ball 30 plus times in a game. And he's and he's got a complete percentage of of over eighty percent, which is pretty damn impressive. One touchdown pass in there, thirty three to ten victory over Carolina, and then against the Giants, like I said, thirty or forty one, two forty four, seventy seventy three percent complete percentage, threw for two touchdowns in a game, it's just an absolute and a quarter and a uh, and a uh, passer rating of one hundred four. An absolutely phenomenal job by Tua. Got to give him his props, and he is one. He is one of the along with the fact that the that the Dolphins' defense has finally played up to their potential. But he is one of the many reasons why the Dolphins are riding this little hot streak that they've been on now, and are one win away from getting back to the five hundred mark at seven and seven. And uh, and all of a sudden you got to consider them as far as uh, the conversation in a loaded AFC playoff picture when it comes to getting the wild card spot uh, in the AFC. But Miami has not, and if Miami does win. Uh, Sunday against the Jets, which is a very wonderful game. They're favored by seven. Or, excuse me, they have a bye week. Their next game, or excuse me, they have a bye week this week. And then after this upcoming Sunday, they play the Jets coming out the bye on the 19th. But if they beat the Jets on the 19th of December, this it will be the first time that Dolphins have been at 500 or better since uh, since uh, the second week. Now, they lost that second week of the season. But first time being at 500 since the 19th of September, which I found to be very interesting as well. And then on the flip side, you have the New York football giants who are just a, who are, who are just a disgrace to humanity, a disgrace to the NFL, a disgrace to the sport of football, a disgrace to the previous giant teams that have come before them. Uh, they are a disgrace to New York State. They are a disgrace to the state of New Jersey. They are a disgrace to the city of New York and all of the boroughs, you know, Brooklyn, the Bronx, uh, Manhattan, you you know, uh, Queens, you name it. They are an absolute crap show to, to put it in a PG in a PG rated version. I mean, Mike Glennon, who is just, who is just the literal worst, you know, Saquon Barkley, I don't know what the hell his deal is. Dare I say calling him a bust. If you want to say it, I'm not going to fight you off on it. 11 carries is 55 yards on the ground. I mean, it just does a, a, he's hurt half the time when he does play. He doesn't do a damn thing contributing to the offensive side of the football for the giants. They fall to four and eight. They fall 
Minnesota 4 and 8 on the season. They're just an absolute complete waste of time. The New York Football Giants, okay, since they won Super Bowl 46 10 years ago, 61 and 96. That is their record since February what was that day? February 5th, my father's what? Uh, 34th birthday. Since my father turned 34 years old when they beat the Patriots in Super Bowl 46 in Indianapolis. You know what the Giants record is? Again, I'll read to you one more time. 61 and 96. That's the fourth, that's the fourth worst in the sport in the last 10 years. Since 2017, they are 22 and 54. Second worst. Since hiring the uh, waste of my damn time, GM Dave Gettleman, fourth worst in the sport, 19 and 41 record. And since hiring Joe Judge, Mr. Tough Guy, Mr. Uh, Mr. Joe Sargent, fake ass Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, 10 and 18. Fifth worst in the sport. Again, I've said I said it after the Washington game. I said it after the Chief game, and I skimmed it out all through training camp. Joe Judge can take his Mister Tough Guy, uh, Macho Man attitude and coaching styles. He can shove him up his ass because he is a phony, a fraud, as as Keyshawn Johnson used to describe John Gruden, a fake car salesman. A used, or excuse me, a used car salesman, and he stinks at his job. He has an absolute, complete waste of time. This team does nothing but lose. They can't score any freaking points. They can't run the ball. They can't stop a damn soul on defense. They do nothing but lose games left and right. And if you and if you have the mental fortitude enough to watch their games, they bore you to freaking tears. Enough of the New York football giants. Did you know? Did you also know that Colts running back Jonathan Taylor has scored more total touchdowns through the first 13 weeks of the NFL season? He scored more total touchdowns receiving and running the football. Has scored more total touchdowns in 18 than the entire New York Giants offense this season. Did you know that? Get the hell out of my face, Joe Judge. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm sick of you. I'm, I'm sick of you. I'm sick of Gettleman. I'm sick of Mara. You know, Mara sitting up on his big old high horse, you know, acting like it's against the Ten Commandments to, uh, you know, to taunt and talk a little smack to your opposition when you're out there on the playing field, you know, putting your heart and soul in, putting your heart and soul into, 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 the, in, into uh, playing football on the NFL and got, and then John Mara makes it seem like it's heresy or against the Ten Commandments or it's one of the seven uh, deadly sins if, God forbid, you talk a little smack or you, uh, or you showboat in front of your opponent when you, when you make a great play. John Mara now. We got cut down on the taunting. Hey, John, worry less about the freaking NFL rule book and, uh, and, and, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, taunting Tyree Kill in the Super Bowl. Be less concerned about that and be more concerned about running a winning, watchable, entertaining, respectable football team. 
be more concerned about what's going on in-house than what's going on out-of-house. About things that you can't control. Because what you can control is the fact that your team is one of the worst in the sport in the last 10 years. You've made the playoffs one time. One time. Since your Super Bowl 46 championship. One time. Again, 22 and 54 since 2017. 19 and 41 since hiring the inept, the pathetic, waste of my damn time, Dave Gutterman as your GM. And you missed the tough guy, fake ass, Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, wannabe, 10 and 18. Fifth worst in the sport. It's enough. Really. It's enough. I'm, 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 I'm sick of it. I'm really, really sick of it. This all this guy set up there and preaches is is accountability and responsibility. Not making any excuses. Going to be disciplined. Going to be buttoned up. This team makes more penalties at the most inopportune times than anybody in the sport I've seen this season. And you're not buttoned up and you're not disciplined. And when his team and when his team stunk up the joint in Tampa a few weeks ago on Monday Night Football, instead of him as the head football coach of this franchise, say, you know what, I'm the head coach, this team stinks, we can't score, our defense is pathetic. Point the as as the late Jim Fossil said back in the day, you can put the laser on my chest, I'll take full responsibility. He didn't do that. He threw Jason Garrett, his inept offensive coordinator, under the bus. Take responsibility for my actions, my ass. This team has been outscored 52 to nothing in the last two minutes of the first half this season. You stink. You are an embarrassment to the sport. Embarrassment. Got Joe Judge, you know, with, with, the, with the stupid field position battle. Giants face a fourth and two, a fourth and three, and a fourth and four, all within four yards of either direction of midfield on Sunday. And Joe Judge, who promised, again, used car salesman, promised the, the aggressive play style in this press conference and did nothing but punt all three freaking times, including... Furthermore, a fourth and two from the Dolphins' 46-yard line when the Giants tail trailed by four with five minutes left in the third quarter. Get out of my damn face, Joe Judge. God. I'm so oh, I, I I I can't I can't take him anymore. Can't take it. Get the hell out of my face with your bull crap and your phony baloney attitudes, Joe Judge. Please, you can go take Mister Fake Tough Guy Bill Belichick Nick Saban hybrid attitude, and you can stick it where the sun don't shine. Cause you stink. Anyway, let us continue. Washington, 
who beat the Giants back in week two earlier in the season. Took care of business against the Raiders on Sunday, uh, winning uh, winning in the last in the closing seconds by the final score of seventeen to fifteen. Absolutely, again, same thing with, as the point I made with the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins and the, and Washington have are are like mirror images of each other. Two teams I expected and predicted to win ten games at the start of the season. Two teams I predicted to make the playoffs because of the fact, uh, in large part, because of the fact that they both have strong, or at least heading into the season, we thought had strong defenses that were going to, you know, essentially replicate their for not their tremendous performances from twenty twenty. The main reason why, you know, the reason why the Dolphins won 10 games and was in playoff contention heading into Week 17, and one of the main reasons why Washington won their division and made the playoffs back in uh, 2020 themselves as well. And it's funny how both teams, at and around the same time of the season, a, 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 you know, a little after, a, at around the halfway point of the 2021 season in mid-November, both teams are finally beginning to play up to their position potential uh that ever that at least people like yours truly who predicted them to do well and and to impress and to play well this season it's you know they're starting to uh they're starting to prove us right finally uh towards the mid midway point a little after the fact uh, down the as we head down the postseason stretch of this 2021 season washington went playing phenomenal defense holding the raiders to only 15 points in the game Derek carr 28 to 38 through for 249 no touchdown passes in the game sacked them twice Phenomenal job stopping Josh Drake, uh, Josh Jacobs stopping the run. Vegas as a team, 16 carries, 76 yards on the ground for Vegas. Uh, you know they didn't. You know the defense did lapse, allowing allowing uh, Vegas to take the lead. Uh, now they kept them out of the end zone. Uh, which you like, and that, and uh, and the Vegas receiver has to catch that ball in the back in the end zone. He have to make that catch. I understand he had one hand on it, but you got to make that catch. But they did a great job forcing uh, forcing the uh, Raiders to a field goal to keep uh, to make it uh, fifth to make it fifteen fourteen uh, Vegas. And then what does Taylor Heineke do essentially when he's had when he had a very substandard game for the majority of the game for about three fourths of the game? What does he do? March right down the field to set up uh, the Washington kicker newly signed to set him up to kick a what ended up being a game-winning field goal to put Washington out in front and win the game uh, 17-15 after their defense had to make a couple of stops in the closing seconds of the game. Taylor Heineke, I mean, what what can you, what can you say about the guy? He, the, he may not be flashy. He may not, you know, he is he the Mahomes type, the Rodgers type, the Jackson type, the Burrow type, the Herbert type, uh, you know, the Mahomes type, the the Russell Wilsons of the world, the uh, the you know the Brady's. No, but he but what he is going to do, he's going to get he he's going to he's going to give you a full fledged effort. He's going he's going to leave his his blood, sweat, and tears out there on the field. He's going to give it a hundred and ten, no matter what, come hell to high water. He's going to wear it. He's going to uh, wear his passion. Of the game on his sleeve, and it's going, going to, and he's going to go out there and uh, and make and make you 
fight him to the clock. It's triple zeros for him, you know, to for you to decide whether or not he wins or loses. 23 or 30, 196 yards passing through for two touchdowns in a game. Only got sacked once. Phenomenal job by the Washington offensive line. And, uh, and Antonio Gibson, who, you know, who... Quietly is having a very, very good season for Washington. 23 carries, 88 yards on the ground. Washington as a team on 30 carries, a buck 12 on the ground. A, a strong running game for Washington as they improved to 6-6 six six on the season, 3-3 three and three away from FedEx Field, and now have themselves only two games back of division-leading Dallas for uh, the NFC East, which is why their game Sunday against Dallas is so vital. And and they and uh, with this game on Sunday against Dallas begins their uh, begins their stretch of their final five games to close out the season are all against uh, NFC East and division opponents. Um, so you get that. Uh, so you get that as well. They're six to six, two games back at Dallas, and currently, if you look at the NFC, uh, if you look at the NFC playoff picture, Washington currently holds the sixth seed in the NFC playoffs with a tiebreaker over San Francisco based on best winning percentage uh based on best winning percentage within the NFC and speaking of San Francisco we'll switch gears to their game against Seattle the game that was against Seattle on Sunday afternoon which ended up low key being the game of uh, the week 13 weekend and it's ironic because that game, you know, when the schedule came out back in the uh, back in the springtime, that game was scheduled to be on Sunday Night Football. Seattle went to crap. Uh, San Francisco didn't start out the season great, so it got flexed for the bore fest that is Teddy Two Gloves, who was just absolutely just pathetic and an absolute bore to watch. As we got a, we got to watch that snooze fest, like I uh, like I had predicted between the Broncos. And the uh, and the Chiefs on Sunday night instead, but it's funny, you know, that was the slated Sunday night game, and that game you could make the argument was the best game of the weekend between Seattle and San Francisco. Who knew it only took the Seattle Seahawks to play the San Francisco 49ers again, let alone at home for the Seattle Seahawks to to at least for now at that at this particular moment in time during that one day that one Sunday out of the season for the Seattle Seahawks to get their groove back and kind of sort of look like look like a uh, playoff team. I mean, all all it took was for them to play the San Francisco 49ers all of a sudden the Seattle Seahawks look like perennial playoff contenders again. Russell Wilson only had seven incompletions in the game. Russ was back cooking cooking up something cooking up some delicious and a lumen field uh, kitchen up in Seattle. He was 30 or 37 threw for two touchdown passes in the game, got sacked four times, which I don't like, but Hey, the Seattle Seahawks offensive line stinks. That's what you get. Um, uh, and Tra and, uh, Homer ran the ball tremendously well, only three carries, 80 yards on the day, a touchdown run. Uh, it finally got DK Metcalf involved for a change. And then of course, how about, you know, Seattle Seahawks who, you know, who typically do not, go, you know, don't run a lot of trick plays and don't, you know, call a lot of uh, plays outside of the box, take a couple risks here and there. Well, Pete Carroll was like, oh, what the hell, you know, our season's essentially over. If we lose this game, we're, you know, we were done last week when we lost to Washington, but if we lose today, you know, we, we ain't making the playoffs at 8-9. and nine. So uh, what do they do? 
Fourth, and they uh, they go three and out. Their first offensive possession. Travis Homer runs seventy three yards to the house on a fake on a fake punt run to give Seattle a seven nothing lead right to begin the game. And right then and there, that inject why the Seahawks hadn't been hasn't you know taken risks like that and calling trick plays like that. You know, early in earlier in the season when their offense was hitting lows left and right, they couldn't put the ball in the end zone. They were just an absolute they were just an absolute complete bore and an eyesore to watch and the defense wasn't forced to major. Why why didn't they call that either in the Washington game or all the other games previous in the season, you know, where where you know they why, when their season was slowly but surely escaping away from why they decided to to pull out the bag of tricks now you know, I have no idea, but they did, uh, and uh, lo and behold, it ended up uh, helping them tremendously as they beat as they beat the 49ers by seven. That's a bad loss by San Francisco. If you're the 49ers, who so have had a nice little stretch run going, you cannot. I understand it's a divisional game, and divisional games all bets are off the table. And and albeit Seattle has that was that was Seattle's only second home win this season. They're two and four at home this season. Heading into Sunday, they were one and four at home this year, which is hard to believe. But still, you know, you, you cannot lose to the eight law, you know, to the eight loss Seattle Seahawks, who, you know, again at the time were one and four at home, who were just, you know, counting down the days to the 2022 NFL Draft and countdown days, you know, until up this upcoming offseason in, in the later days of the month of February, March, April, May, June, and July, you know, and all of a sudden all the 49ers come into town and, and we see a Seahawks offense that we haven't seen, you know, essentially since the Obama administration. It's been so long, it feels like since the Seahawks have played that well offensively and just have played just that good a football period. But bad loss uh, by San Francisco. As if they end up missing the playoffs, they're going to root a day that they allowed the Seattle Seahawks to look like their old selves again, getting absolutely dominated with that quote-unquote vaunted defense getting uh, 30 points dropped on them by a Seattle Seahawks team that has done nothing but spun their wheels the majority of the 2021 NFL season. Uh, you know, And their schedule, hard-ish. Cincinnati on the road, Tennessee on the road, Rams on the road, who they always kill. But uh, not a guarantee that they'll make the playoffs. But you know they they, they can eat horrendous loss to Seattle. See, you cannot lose on the road to the on the road to an eight loss Seattle Seahawks team. You just can't. You just cannot do it. Um, but that's where we begin with the uh, you know little theme, if you will, with teams making a wild card push. Vikings came up small. Dolphins keep on winning. Washington keeps on winning. 49ers come up small. And in the mix of that, I've had enough of Joe Judge and the New York football giants to last a lifetime. What a bunch of frauds they are. Take a break, get to the Ravens-Steelers game and the Monday night football game that was up in a frigid and windy Orchard Park coming up in just a few seconds.
Welcome back to the I'm Telling TIS podcast. Switching gears now to the Ravens and Steelers game that was on Sunday. Steelers escape, you know, the Steelers, Pittsburgh Steelers are like cockroaches. You know, any single time you think that they're dead and you don't have to fool whatever and worry about them anymore, all of a sudden they come they come they come up from the cracks little slithers, you know, like stink bugs. They just never go away. And when you think you've killed them all off, all of a sudden you see a stray one, you know, coming coming up from the cracks, still lingering around. And uh, and you know and and it's like oh holy crap we got we still got to deal with them again. Well, that was essentially the Steelers on. Now when I won like the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers played a tremendous game. It was well, it was just as much about the Ravens beating themselves as it was the you know the great play of the Pittsburgh Steelers. But it's funny, you know Mike. You know, it seems like the only time nowadays where Mike Tomlin really shows how good of a coach he is and shows his coaching genius is when his team's back is up against the wall. They come off of an embarrassing game. Everybody and their mother, whether it's fans on social media or members of the media on television, radio, blogs, on the internet, Twitter, you name it. You know, when the whole world essentially, everyone and their mother bashes the Pittsburgh Steelers this team. This team stinks. This, te- this team's offense is inept. They can't run the ball. Big Ben is shot. They have no effort. No one's scared to play the Steelers. They're a soft football team. Their their current players are relying too much on uh, on the history of the franchise instead of trying to make uh, instead of trying to make uh, history of their own. All all the talk and all the yip yap and all the yammering and it, and it, and it only th- then and only then where it seems like that Mike Tomlin does his best coaching job. With Pittsburgh, and his team goes out there and punches Baltimore in the proverbial mouth, so to speak, on Sunday, and they dominate and win a rivalry game by the final score of twenty to nineteen. Uh, ben Rock, you know, if you think Ben Roethlisberger isn't shot, and if this offense is, you're not paying attention, you know, you know, in, in, in a in a field position game, Ben, in a defensive battle that it was, Ben Roethlisberger throwing the football thirty one times is not a recipe for success. Uh, and only and Najee Harris, your first again, your first round a uh, draft pick out of Alabama, only getting twenty one carries is unacceptable as well. Um, but uh, Deontay Johnson just absolutely destroyed the Baltimore secondary. Eight receptions, one hundred and five yards, two touchdown catches in a game. He was targeted eleven times. Um, but this, this is just more about a Baltimore perspective, you know. And again, I understand they're injured the hell and back, you know, on, on on both sides of the football, especially within their secondary. But it's just, you, I understand also that big one like Big Ben threw for 400 yards, but you know, allowing Deontay Johnson to rack up 105 receiving yards on eight receptions when he was targeted 11 times, caught the two touch, caught the lone two touchdown passes in a game for Pittsburgh. I mean, that's just unacceptable. I mean, and then, and then generating a pass rush, they only, they only sacked Ben Roethlisberger one time with that beleaguered, substandard, subpar offensive line. That, that, if you're the Baltimore Ravens, I mean, that's embarrassing. And that that's that's not championship football. Their offensive line is not that good. Got absolutely destroyed by Cincinnati the week before. 
you only get the Ben Roethlisberger one time, and you allow Deontay Johnson to have to have a field day on you. I mean, that's 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 not championship worthy defense, championship worthy football. And again, I understand that they're injured, and now they won't have Marlon Humphrey for the rest of the season with a torn pectoral muscle. So you know, it, when it rains and pours for the Ravens, as far as the injury bug in 2021, but you got again the Pittsburgh Steelers offense is not is pathetic. It's awful. It's a waste. It's a waste of your damn time. Don't even bother to watch them half the time. They're so bad. And and for and for them to have as decent, not not I'm not going to say good or great, but as decent, decent of a performance that they had on Sunday. The other Ravens. That, that, that's just, that's not good enough. That 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 is just that's not that's not championship football. It just isn't. You know. On the front, and then on the offensive side of the football, they can't run the ball worth a damn. Lamar Jackson, 8 carries, 55 yards on the ground. Uh, Devonta Freeman, 14 carries, 52 yards on the ground. Latavius Murray didn't do anything. You know, their, their offense is inept. They scored one touchdown, and that's when they needed it throughout the final drive of the... Uh, Throughout the final drive uh, in regulation in the fourth quarter, Lamar Jackson, 23 of 37, got sacked seven times. I'm going to repeat that for effect. Seven times. The offensive line, worst performance of the season, bar none, was absolutely pathetic, disgraceful, and downright embarrassing. And this Ravens offense has just has has got to find a way to pick it up here. I mean, look at look at the last couple of games with the Ravens offense, and I'll get to uh, and I'll get to that two point conversion decision by Harbaugh in a minute. But look at how many points the Ravens offense have scored as of late, dating back dating back to the uh, dating back to the Dolphin game on November the eleventh. Ten points against Miami. I, now they now. Now their defense has bounced back all of a sudden, but heading into that game, the Dolphin defense was you know was nothing to uh, was nothing to call and write home about whatsoever. Ten points against the Dolphin defense when essentially they did nothing but call engage eight violently, you know, like you like you do in Madden sometimes, just engage eight every single time. Ravens put up ten points in that game. The week after they put up sixteen points against the Chicago, they won that game. But they didn't have a sense of an offense, and Tyler and Tyler Huntley was just absolutely pathetic until the final drive of that game against the Bears on uh, November the twenty-first. They put up sixteen. Now they won a game, but they put up sixteen points. Uh, Cleveland, they put up sixteen points. Uh, I, again, Cleveland's got a hell of a defense, and they won that game as well. But sixteen points with the, we are with Lamar Jackson and, and as and as great a run game as anybody in the sport. That's not good enough. Uh, that's not good enough against. Uh, now it was good enough for him to win a game, but 16 points is not ideal. And he only scored 19 points and put the ball in the end zone only one time uh, against Pittsburgh. Come Sunday, uh, came uh, last Sunday afternoon. Ravens' offense has got to pick it up. It just has to, especially we go and look at their schedule the rest of the way. They get Cleveland. They got Cleveland on the road this weekend, and then the and then these next and then in between their after their in between this upcoming Cleveland game. So after this upcoming Cleveland game on Sunday and their last game of the season at home against Pittsburgh, listen to who they listen to who they play. Green Bay, the Rams. 
Not in any, not in any particular order. Here's the order: Green Bay, the Bengals, the Rams. All three of those teams that I mentioned can score 31 points in their freaking sleep. In their sleep. The Bengals, and I'll get to them later on. Bengals show they score they score 30 outside of that one anomaly in the Jet game against uh, Mike White. Bengals Bengals have already proven they score they score 31 points or more they don't lose. So if the if the if you give the Bengals 31 points, odds are they're not going to lose the football game. So so that that's the first thing. Green Bay's got Aaron Rodgers. They got Aaron, got the defending MVP and Aaron Rodgers. And they got a great, they got a good rushing attack, and not to mention one of the best wide receivers in football, and Devontae Adams, and of course MVS, the uh, the you know the sidekick in the receiving game. They can score thirty plus points in their sleep, and then of course with the Rams, who have hit a, you know, and I don't count the Jacksonville game, the you know the Jaguars stink, but you know all, when everything's clicking and everything's peaches and cream for the Rams, they uh, they they also themselves can score thirty plus points. Uh, a game in their freaking sleep, and that and that's in between, and that's in between the Cleveland game this upcoming Sunday and the Pittsburgh game to close out the season. They go up three straight games to go up against offenses that I believe I'm I'm, I'm guessing you know I'm saying this on top of my head the three teams that that are probably I would imagine top fifteen in points scored this season that can drop thirty one points at minimum. In their sleep. At minimum. And all three teams can beat you a vast amount of different ways. But all three teams have a deep, have a, the Bengals, in my opinion, have the best rushing attack out of all three, but that's a separate conversation for a separate day. All three teams have a competent running game and with solid quarterback play and and and, and fantastic wide receiver play, Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup with the Ra- Cooper Cup on the Rams, Devontae Adams with uh, with Green Bay, and uh, throw a little T Higgins, Jamar Chase in the mix, who absolutely killed Baltimore on on October the twenty fourth for Cincinnati, you know, and and they allowed Deontay Johnson to go nuts like he did on Sunday, and no Marlon Humphrey the rest of the way. And their secondary is beat up enough as it is. As my sister likes to say, woo child, my goodness gracious. So the Ravens, you know, the Ravens offense especially because, again, going down the stretch to close out the season, Ravens want to win games. They're going to have to rely on their offense to, to, to put up points and to, and to essentially win games via shootouts. And you know, and knowing how to score thirty and knowing how to score twenty-eight, thirty-one, thirty-four, thirty-five, forty-one points in a game. And just knowing that that, you know, heading into a game that there are gonna be some games you're gonna to have to play a la a la the Rams, a la Green Bay, a la Cincinnati, where you have to just flat out, you know, wave the white flag with your defenses and say, Offense, I I need I need thirty-one points at min- at minimum today. And you know, and you know, beat, beat you can't, you can't, you cannot beat the Bengals, Rams, or the Packers scoring 19, 16, 16, and 10 points. 
Can't do it. Their offense is too dynamic, and they got too many playmakers on offense on each three of those each three of those teams that I named. You score ten, you score thirteen, you score sixteen points against Green Bay, the Rams, or the Bengals. You're going to get killed, killed. Especially when your defense is injured to hell and back, and you essentially have no secondary. Now, when it comes to Harbaugh and a two-point conversion decision. I said it at the time, and I tweeted it out then. I said, Harbaugh, don't screw around. Take the guaranteed point. Kick the extra point here. Play for the overtime. Now, he said his, his essentially his sole decider for uh, for going for two to try to win the game right then and there is because he knew Marlon Humphrey is going to be out for the rest of the game, and his secondary was injured to hell and back. He didn't want to lead the team on the field as long as they as long as long they uh, had been on the field throughout the full four quarters, which is, which is not a stupid reason. It's not a dumb reason. It's, it's a reasonable explanation, and it's understandable. I still be personally would have kicked the extra point. Go for the overtime. I understand it's a 50-50 chance, but but yeah, but you know, count on and ride on the fact that that 50-50 chance goes your way. You wouldn't coin flip. You get Lamar Jackson to march down the field with with the phenomenal momentum that you had all that you had gained from that final drive to put yourself within two in the final closing seconds of the fourth quarter, and you go out there and again 50-50 chance coin flip. I get that, but count, but essentially. Bet bet on the coin toss, so to speak. That you that you win the toss, you get the ball. Lamar Jackson goes down the field, puts the ball in the end zone again. I mean, personally, would have would have kicked the field goal, or excuse me, kicked the extra point. Now, I understand all the people saying that, Jai, you're nuts, you're wrong. The analytics say this, analytics say that. Plus, Harbaugh, you know, Harbaugh didn't want his defense to go back out there on the field again after they've been winning the entire game. So I, I, I'm not going to, if you have that argument, I'm not going to fight you off on it. I'm not going to say that you're wrong. My personal preference is if it was me, if I was in Harbaugh's shoes, I'd have kicked the extra point. But if you, but if you either, if you tweet at me or if you, or if you say to yourself, hey, listen to this, oh, John, you're nuts. You don't have no idea what the hell you're talking about. You go for two in that situation, I'm not going to fight you off on it. And I'm not going to say that you're wrong. It's just that, and it wasn't a bad, excuse me, wasn't a bad decision, and it wasn't a bad play call. It was just piss poor execution on the part of Lamar Jackson, who should have threw that ball a little closer in to Mark Andrews, and Mark Andrews, who had his hands on the ball, should have caught the damn thing, period. But Ravens got a rough stretch. Now they have now they have themselves a little bit of leeway here, and they got and they, and a, and they're sitting at a, at a fairly decent spot, fairly decent spot. They're only in first place, uh, first place up against my Bengals by a game. They're eight and four. The Bengals are seven and five. So they also caught a break that the Bengals lost to the Chargers earlier this afternoon. But uh, and they do have eight wins, which is also a positive sign as well. And if you want to be optimistic about it, both them, them, the Patriots, and the Titans, all three of those teams had the same amount of losses in the loss column. But uh, you know, the Patriots haven't had their bye week until this upcoming Sunday, which is why the Patriots sit at nine and four, the Ravens sit at eight and four. But you know, Ray, Ravens, Ravens got to pick it up. And uh, and get their offense back back uh, back up to scoring points before before you before they blink, and they'll be on the outside looking in. Not just as far as the AFC North is concerned, but possibly the playoffs.
You ju you, ju you just never know. But again, going back to two point conversion play, I personally would have kicked the extra point, but I I I, I disagree with Harbaugh's decision decision, excuse me, but I do not have a problem with it. I do have a problem with Mark Andrews dropping the damn thing, and I have an issue with Lamar Jackson, who hasn't exactly been his MVP self the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, with with, uh, with another Aaron throw, which was horrendous. Now, speaking of the Patriots, let's get to the Monday night game. game that took place in cold, frigid, Windy, blustery uh, Orchard Park, New, uh, Western New York, as the Patriots took care of business against Buffalo by the final score of fourteen to ten. I mean, just, if you are one of those idiots, and I will call and I will call you, you you people out there idiots. If you are one of those idiots that believe that the entire New England Patriot dynasty that won six Super Bowls in a period of time from two thousand and one to 2018, if you are one of those idiots that honestly believed that it was all the genius, now, he's the GOAT. And he's great. Greatest quarterback I've ever seen, obviously. Greatest quarterback of all time, obviously. Greatest winner in the history of the NFL. We get that. But... If you think that that was 100% all Tom Brady for those six Super Bowls and 0% Bill Belichick, you don't know a damn thing about football and you need to donate your brain to science when you die. Because that game on Monday night proved in a nutshell that A, Bill Belichick is a Hall of Fame NFL head coach and B, that... Bill Belichick's genius was part of the reason why that why that team won six Super Bowls with Brady. You get the greatest quarterback of all time with a down plus a downright freaking genius, genius with a capital G, genius, and head coach and Bill Belichick, who was a hell of a coach before Brady was even discovered in the National Football League. What's well, a hell of a coach, you know, Coach Cleveland? Hell of a coach punching up the defensive game plan to slow down the K-Gun offense and the Bills in the Super Bowl in Super Bowl 25 against Buffalo? Hell of a coach before Brady got into the mix. Now, could you say that that, you know, getting his quarterback with Brady put him over the top? Yeah. But last time I checked, Brady can't draft himself. And who'd have thought? Sitting on the bench behind Drew Bledsoe, drafted in the sixth round, who'd have thought Brady would essentially become the greatest quarterback of all time and bring about a winning culture to what was outside of a couple of Super Bowl seasons here and there in 85 and in 1996, save a losing substandard NFL team in the New England Patriots. If you, after this, after Monday night, if you didn't think of prior to Monday night, you're an idiot. And if you still think that after Monday night, you're a moron. Because if you thought that it was all Brady and no Belichick, you need your head examined. Because that was as beautiful of a game plan I have ever seen 
in my, what, 15 going on 16 years of watching NFL football. That, that that game plan was so perfect, was so smart, was so clever, was so witty, was so freaking genius. He Bill Belichick went into this game and said, it's gonna be cold, it's going to be it's going to be windy. Wind gusts could get up to 50 miles an hour. It's gonna snow during pregame warm-ups. We intentionally will only throw the football three times. We will only and we will intentionally heading into the game throw the now he probably went into that game and said, Well, we won't throw the ball more than five times, five at the camp, but threw the ball three times, and we will run the football a collective forty six times. They ran the ball. 46 times, 222 yards rushing. Harris, 10 carries, 111 yards on the ground. Stevenson, their other running back, 24 carries, 78 yards. An absolute coaching clinic by the GOAT in, in the great Bill Belichick. A coaching clinic. If you want to know how to win NFL football games and what it takes to be a great Hall of Fame worthy coach, watch the pa- watch the Patriots offensively on on Monday night, and and study Belichick's game plan and and what he did, because that was absolutely marvelous. And I don't want to hear you know Sean McDermott, you know the fox with the sour grapes. You know, sitting up there in the press conference with his panties in a twist, sitting up there saying, "Well, let's not give Bill Belichick all the credit," and, and you know, and essentially shucking jive his way from giving Bill Belichick the rightful credit he deserves for coaching freaking damn circles, circles around Sean McDermott on Monday night. I mean, please. I mean, uh, wake, wake up and get a clue, McDermott. Will you please? Bill Belichick coached circles around your ass. On Monday night, whether you want to admit it, whether you want to make it public to the media and your post-game press conference after the game, you pick and choose. He coached circles around you. He said, we are only going to throw the ball three times and we are going to run it a total of 46 times and dare you to stop it. Dare you to stop us. Make us throw the ball in this wind. Make us throw the ball in this win with a rookie quarterback. Make us. We dare you. And it wasn't until in the latter stages of the second half where uh, McDermott, who's a defensive-minded head coach, finally woke up and smelled, smelled the coffee and actually paid attention to his surroundings and paid attention to the damn game that was going on in front of him and said, oh, holy crap, they're doing Northman running the football. They're not going to put the ball in Mac Jones's hands for them to win a game. Now all of a sudden we got to stack the box. I mean, really? Threw the ball three times. Three times. Since 1978, Patriots are the only team to attempt one pass in the first half of an NFL game. Since 78, the two pass completions are tied for the fewest in a single game in Patriots franchise history. Furthermore, 
Patriots defeated the Bills uh, and th- with three pass attempts, fewest by a team since the Bills did it in week three of 1974 against the Jets with two. And it's only the third, and it's only the uh, and the only two previous times where teams won a game playing that way. You have to go back to 1974, of course, and I believe, I believe 1946. I will double check that during the segment, but I believe 1974. I know for sure is one year, and the other year was in 1976. Let me ch- let me double check just to make sure I'm accurate here. Uh, 19, oh, okay, okay, so here, let me clarify. Patriots are just the third team, so it's happened three other times. Third team in NFL history to, to attempt exactly three passes in a game. Other two times it happened, 1968-1946. I mean, you want to talk about throwing the game back to, to, its, to, its, uh, to its original ancient days back in the day. All you did was run the football, and a forward pass hadn't been an inventive part of the uh, offense within the sport yet. Bill Belichick, what a job. And here's the thing else you got to be concerned about Buffalo as well. You know, Buffalo, who everybody, you know, with the pom-poms, hey, 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 with the let's go Buffalo stuff, and Buffalo Bills, AFC favorite to go to the Super Bowl, whole nine yards. Here's the point about the Buffalo Bills. A McDermott got out, got coached around, got coached around in circles by Belichick all night. That's one thing. Two, you're supposed to be the one that's uh, that's getting your revenge against the quote unquote big brother, big bad New England Patriots. And you know you thought, oh, the Patriots are dead. The Patriots are finished because you finally swept them after last season, embarrassed them. Now all of a sudden, the Patriots are back kicking your ass again. That's that which which is a very concerning sign, and and just and just. It would would make me and would give me the would give me the night sweats if I was a Buffalo Bills fan putting my head to pillow come Monday night. That's the second thing. Third thing is you have no damn running game, uh, which you know, and all championship contending teams are part of the reason why they are championship contending teams in the first place is because they are because because they know how to and they have the capability to run the damn football. And the Buffalo Bills can't do that. And as many times in the red zone that they ran the football. I mean, how many times I got to see, uh, have to see uh, Zach Moss run, running the ball, running the ball inside the red zone for Buffalo on Monday night? Your running game stinks. Your running back stinks. Let Josh Allen run it or put the ball in his hands and have you guys pass your way to victory. You couldn't stop. You couldn't stop the run. You couldn't stop the run from the Patriots side of things. And you know you threw the ball thirty times for crying out loud, but every single times you got inside the red zone, it's like ah, well, well Zach Moss, who's about five nine, a buck eighty five, you know, let's try to power power it in that way. When a Patriots, when everyone and their mother is expecting you guys to run the football in that situation, just absolutely horrendous game planning and horrendous coaching by McDermott and the Buffalo Bills. And another thing too. You know, Buffalo, did you know, Buffalo is 1-4 against teams currently owning a winning record at this point in time. Lost to Pittsburgh at home opening game of the season. Beat Kansas City. Lost on Monday night on the road to Tennessee. Got their brakes beat off of them by Jonathan Taylor and the Colts a few weeks ago at, uh, at home. And lost to the Patriots on Monday night at home. Fair to say, now I don't want to overreact. 
But as of this point in time right now, the Buffalo Bills are not my quote-unquote hot pick to make to make slash win the Super Bowl come uh, come uh, February. They can't run the ball. Their offense is too one-dimensional. And, you know, and again, against winning teams, they have not played that well this season. They haven't. They haven't. Now, and, you know, Hyde and the other defensive back for the Bills getting, uh, you know, getting upset after the game. It was a poorly it was a poorly framed question. You don't you, you allow them to say that they're embarrassed. You don't say it for them. That's a piss poor way of wording it. But uh, but but to be quite but in all but in all fairness, the Bills should be embarrassed. Of 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 uh, now what they only gave up fourteen points. They only gave up uh, one touchdown in the game. Not the point, guys. You allowed the Patriots to dominate the clock in time of possession, and on 46 carries, they ran for over 220 yards. Champion, championship defenses don't don't allow don't especially divisional opponents to come in, to come into their house on Monday Night Football and allow them to rush for 222 yards on ground on 46 carries. When they call when their cornerback excuse me when when the opposing quarterback only throws the ball three times, that's unacceptable. Question was worded poorly, but but it, but that is embarrassing and it's unacceptable. Take a break. Get to my Bengals. You're listening to the Amateur Like a TIS podcast. Welcome back to the M Teleka TIS podcast. It's time for me to address my uh, Cincinnati Bengals. And, uh, you know, I just. When you're a fan of this team, as long as I've been a fan of this team, it's just like. It's just. You you, you don't know what you're going to get. Now, all things being equal and all things being considered, so far at this point in the season. It's been a success. We're playing meaningful. We currently hold a playoff spot. Knock on wood. Hopefully, uh, that you know that uh, that remains. We currently hold a playoff spot in the AFC playoff picture. We're playing meaningful football in December, and it and it seems like it was only yesterday where you know the Bengals were you know uh, bungle for Burrow was the was our uh, campaign back in the 2019 season where we struggled when we where we struggled to win games. We were doing nothing but playing in tank bowls left and right. So so in a grand scheme, of, and it's only it's only been a two year difference between now and, and the 2019 season, and we have seven wins at this point in the season, and you know all of last year we had what three or four. In the season prior to that, and in the season prior to that, we had one or two, with the with the number one overall pick in the draft. But I'm very concerned for my Bengals because it, it's like 
what what are they? Like, make up your mind. Are you are you one week they show up? Whether it's the whether it's the Raven game, when they, whether it's the Raven game, whether it's uh, even though they even though they lost the game, they they took they took Green Bay down to the wire in overtime back in October. You know, you, you pick pick your game. Whether uh, against uh, against the Raiders, against Pittsburgh the week before that when they beat them into a pulp, or back in September when they played Pittsburgh at Heinz Field. Uh, they had a nice little comeback against the uh, beleaguered Jaguars on Thursday. So it's like some weeks you watch this team play, and it's like this team, if everything breaks right for them, could make a deep playoff run and could win the division. And they look like, dare I say, a sleeper Super Bowl contender one week. And then there's other weeks, the Jet game, the Brown game right after that, Week two on the road against Chicago. Sunday against the Chargers. Then there are days where it's like, what is this team? What the heck am I watching? This team's overrated. Zach Taylor's not that good. Joe Burrow has has major flaws. We can't do this. We can't do that. Defense this. Defense that. Can't get off the field in third down. Giving up too many big plays. Quarterback is looking better than they actually are. You know whether it be Mike White or Andy Dalton. You know we we, we you know we can't stop the run. Can't do this. Can't do that. So it's 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 a tale of two teams. One week or two weeks in a row, the Bengals look like a a sleeper Super Bowl contender that could win the division and make a deep playoff run. One week. And then there's other weeks where it's like this team is this this team ain't gonna make the playoffs because th- because of this 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 and this. So what is it with the Bengals? Honestly, what what is it? What then the Bengals have to make up in their mind as of this moment heading into the 49er game on Sunday. What team are they going to be? Are they going to be a team that is? That is that sh- that has a lots of talent on their team, but in the end is not going to be ready for prime time. That's that's going to finish with dare I say a below five hundred record and make the playoffs, or are they going to be a team that's going to live up to the potential, live up, and the talent that's on that roster is going to live up to that, and they're going to go out there and win games they're supposed to win, win games that they have to win, and beat impressive opponents. On a consistent week in, week out basis, Joe Burrow is going to turn over the football. The running game is going to be solid and fluid. The wide receivers aren't going to drop every damn ball in sight, and and we'll, we will limit the self-inflicted mistakes. Whether it's whether it's dropped passes, whether it's catching a ball and literally giving it to the opposition for a free interception, whether it's false start or holding penalties or illegal formation penalties that stall drives that move us backwards in the wrong direction. What which and which and what will it be? They have to make up in their mind what team they're going to be. Are they going to be a are they going to be a team that could are they going to be a team that could win eleven? 12, 13 games if they run the table and win the division and be a dark horse to win the Super Bowl or to make the Super Bowl, although I don't think that's going to happen, but to the outsider's mind, be a dark dark horse to go to the Super Bowl? 
or are they going to be that team that's going to finish 7-10, 8-9, 9-8, spin their wheels, show signs of promise, but self-inflicted ineptitude at the, wrong, at the wrong possible time keeps them out of the postseason. And another year goes by where the Bengals don't make the playoffs and in turn don't win a playoff game. They have to make up in their mind what, what, what team, what Bengals team are they going to be from here on out. Because this team is too damn inconsistent. They're too inconsistent. They win back-to-back games that look like world beaters two in, in, a, in a span of two weeks and one span. And then you blank and a week or two goes by. And they can't get out of their own way. And they look like a perennial 10-9 loss team. So, so what is it going to be? You can't, because if you want to be taken seriously as a contender, you want to get taken seriously as a playoff team and a team that, that, team, that NFL teams across the NFL landscape are going to take seriously from here on out, you, got, you can't be inconsistent like this. You can't be up and down. You can't look like Super Bowl contenders uh, one week or two in one hand and look like pure garbage with a top 10 draft pick you know, forthcoming in the following spring, the next week or two. Losing to Mike White and the Jets. Going down, uh, going down uh, 24 to nothing at home to the Chargers. Getting your doors blown off at home to the Browns. Can't have it both ways. And then, and then tell the fan base, we want you guys here in full force. It's not going to work. Not going to work. We've been through too much suffering, too much losing. We don't have the tolerance and the patience for it. If you want to, if you want to be a winning franchise, you want to be a, a successful football team, be committed to doing so. I'm, I'm not expecting undefeated 17-0. I'm not expecting that. Losses are going to happen fine. But it's too much of a pattern where they look great one week, garbage the next, Look great in, in a two-week span. They win back-to-back games. Time for them to string together their third win in a row. Can't do so. You know, and if and outside of the Packer game, outside of the Packer game, and to a certain degree the Jet game, there are games that the Bengals have lost this season where they have looked absolutely horrendous the bear game they were pathetic the opening drive the defense was inept the offense was terrible until late in the fourth quarter joe burrow turning up turning up throwing every interception three straight passes three straight interceptions piss poor blocking from the offensive line brown game Baker Mayfield stretches the field on him. Nick Chubb runs for a million yards. Offense can't muster up any any points. Pass rushes overwhelming the offensive line. Joe Burrow self-inflicted mistakes. Fumbling the football. Throwing bonehead ass nine interceptions right to defenders. It's got to change, man. It's got to change. It has to change. I love Joey B. I'm glad he's here. And I understand that he's still working through the growing pains. 
But 14 interceptions, bro, ain't that, that ain't good enough. That's not good enough to win football games. That's not championship That's not championship uh, material right there. That's not championship football. That's not playoff. That's not, that's not what playoff teams do that win playoff games, that win their divisions. That's not what they do. 14 interceptions, and, and you've gone like what? Two, three games in a row with a, with a lost fumble? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Two, what? Two, two, last two, three games, whatever it is. Or, or two out of the last three games. You fumbled the football. Can't happen. Can't win games giving teams free possessions. Giving them a short field to work with. On top of it, killing the team's morale and confidence in the early stages of a football game. You can't. Have it. It cannot happen if you want to win. Joey B got to stop fumbling the football. Joey B got to stop throwing interceptions. Now, I understand there's a few here and there that aren't exactly his fault. The Jamar Chase interception what, what was, was just horrendous. That was 100% Chase's fault. None of Burroughs. Chase should have caught the damn ball. Which, again, goes into my argument where interceptions need to count as a stat against wide receivers. Because there's no reason in the world why Chase shouldn't have caught that ball. But even if you look in, in their last gasp in the fourth quarter, got to put the ball in the end zone to keep themselves alive, to keep the Bengals alive in the game. Joe Burrow trying to force a pass to C.J. Uzama. That's obviously not there. And gifts the Chargers a free interception. Can't have it. Can't have it. Can't happen. Period. It cannot happen if you want to win. Win the division, make the playoffs, or win playoff games. It cannot happen. Can't. And this team, I fear also, does not know how to handle in the moment short-term success you win a game or two in dominating fashion and come the third game you know it's mike white it's mayfield it's well mayfield was after the jet game but it's mike white and jets or in this set of circumstance it's herbert and the chargers now i understand chargers are good they're in they have their own issues as well they're just as inconsistent and up and down and hard to read as the Bengals are. I get that. And Herbert has a hell of an arm and is a hell of a quarterback talent. And they might make the playoffs. And there's still an opportunity for them to win the division. So it's no disrespect to the Chargers. But this is a game that the Bengals had to win. You want to take yourself seriously as a big-time contender in the AFC. you got to find a way to string together a three-game win streak. Especially as we head down the home stretch to close out the season. Because if I'm an outsider looking in, how can I take the Bengals seriously as being for real? They can't, they can't muster up three wins in a row yet. It's week 13. I understand that they're two games above 500 and currently hold the sixth seed and a, and a game behind first place in the north. But how can I take them seriously come January? They can't win three games in a row. 
and, and they've and they've had two horrendous losses at home. One of them was a blowout right from the get-go. Second one could have and should have been a blowout. I give the team credit for showing some heart and showing some moxie for you know for uh, for for making the Chargers work and for and, and for getting you know getting within two points, 24-22, you know, in the third quarter. I give them that, but you got to finish. And you shouldn't have been in that hole to begin with. If it was 24-22 and the game was back and forth, that's one thing. Yes, you made the comeback and you made it close and you gave, you know, Bengals fans like me a sense of hope, like, holy crap, you might come back and win this game. But you shouldn't have been in that deficit to begin with. That's the point. You got to come out firing on all cylinders. Punch your opponent in the mouth. Show them that you mean business. You can't, you can't fall around and then you know, all of a sudden decide, you know, in, in the second half, oh, 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 holy crap, we're down. We got to win this football game. And then you start to kick it in the gear. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. Got to be able to run the football. Mixon, another game where you ran for a touchdown, but the running game was substandard. I understand I had to play from a deficit, but the running game wasn't great. Bro, 24-40, threw for two interceptions, got sacked six times. That's pathetic. That's bad football. And again, for everybody else who's like, oh, the offensive line isn't an issue anymore. How about this? How about that? Look, the bottom line is, Although the offensive line isn't what it was last year, if you don't think that the Bengals' offensive line doesn't need improvement, having drafted Jamar Chase and passed up on Sewell, if you at this point in time don't think that the Bengals' offensive line doesn't need improvement, you're not paying attention. Now, I'm not saying that the, that bro is behind the, the group of turnstiles, and I understand the Bengals also had offensive linemen that were injured, Riley Reef being one of them. I get that. They had an injured offensive line. They had to reshuffle. I get it. But if you don't think that the Bengals still, that there isn't work that needs to be done as far as building up their offensive line for the future, you're not paying attention. Albeit they're, they're not the turnstiles that they were in 2020, but they, are, but they aren't exactly, you know, the hogs of the 1990s Redskin teams. You got to be fair. You got to be honest. You got to call it like you see it. Offensive line was horrendous, was putrid. Pathetic garbage on Sunday. Garbage. He got sacked six times. That's not playoff football. That is not playoff football. It isn't. Burrow's got to do a better job protecting the football. You'd like better play from your offensive line. And a thing that also bothered me too and I get it. I'm not there. I'm not a player. I didn't experience it firsthand. But I, from a from a fan's perspective and from an outsider's perspective, watching it on TV, I understand that building up that comeback when you got punched in the face and had to climb and dig yourself out of a 24 to nothing hole. I understand that that isn't an easy task. I, I get that. And just the emotional and mental toll it takes to 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 build up a comeback of of that magnitude of that much, but my goodness, you were down twenty four twenty two, one like you were down twenty four twelve or down twenty four to ten, twenty four twenty two. You were down two points. 
they as a whole did a horrendous job, horrendous, of allowing that Mixon fumble. First fumble Mixon's had all season, didn't get hit, didn't get stripped. He straight up dropped the ball. Dropped it. And I understand it was, oh, we came this far. We, you know, we're, we're nearly at the mountaintop. We're only two points down. A field goal at minimum gives us the lead. I get that. But they did a hurt. I mean, come on. Mixon fumble. They pick it up. They take it back for a touchdown. It's next play. Move on. Got, you got to flush it. You got to flush it down the mental toilet. Flip the page. Next page. Got to move on. Swallow the nasty medicine. Move on to the next thing. It's about the next play, the next down, the next opportunity. And it's like when Mixon fumbled, took it back, Chargers took it back to the house for a touchdown to put them up nine. It's, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was like the game was over right then and there. And you can't have that mindset and you cannot have that mentality because the game was not over. You were down nine. Nine points. Seven plus two. Two possession game. Game was not, and it was still plenty of game left in the second half. The game was not over when, when, the game was not over when the Chargers went, when the Chargers went up 31-22. The game was not over then. And it's like they, they, they let that one little miscue by Mixon, that one little time, it was an, it was an ill-timed mistake, it was a dumb mistake, it was a stupid mistake, but it was a mistake. He's had a hell of a he's had a hell of a season thus far. He's had a nice stretch run the last eight games or so. He's human. It's not a game of perfection. I get that. So I'm not necessarily killing Mixon for the fumble. What I am killing is the fact that the team allowed the Mixon fumble to get into their head mentally and steal their pride and steal their competitive spirit and steal. That that dog that was in them that got them to a 24-22 deficit, being down 24 to nothing. I will get on them for that. Because mentally tough and teams that are serious, serious playoff contending football teams. It's alright, that happened. Next play, move on. Let's go. Mixon, you're getting the ball again. Go ahead, go ahead and run it right down their throats. Next play, next possession, next opportunity, next down. Let's go. We're not. We're all, we were down two. Now we're down nine. We go down the field. We we kick a field goal. We as long as we score, whether it's field goal or touchdown, defense goes out there, does their job, thread out, force a turnover. We go right back on out there onto the field and we take the lead. And and the Bengals did not show that on Sunday. Not to mention, they were tremendously sloppy. Zach Taylor, I mean, was out the lunch. Uh, screwed up with the two-point. How in the world, you know, you go for the two-point conversion, you call a timeout, and then you come out of, and then you come out of the timeout for the two-point conversion with a delay of game penalty. I mean, Zach, really? Now, he took full responsibility of it after the game, but that's unacceptable, Zach. You cannot call a timeout and then get caught with your pants around your ankles 
get called for delay a game penalty on a freaking two-point conversion. Furthermore, the mess at the end of the first half, where, you know, where dealing with Burrow's pinky, you know, do we spike it? Do we not spike it? Do we go for it? Do we spike it? Go for the Hail Mary try, you know, for the end? Of, it, was, it was just completely disheveled and completely unorganized and sloppy. Do we go for the Hail Mary with Burrow's bad pinky? Do we spike it? Do we not spike it? I was, I was saying, I was yelling to the television about a play or two before they got up to the line ready to spike it. I was like, you got to spike it here, spike it here, spike it here, spike it here. They go up there, they want another play. Why? Why? You got no timeouts. Why? Why? Spike it two plays prior. So you give yourself enough time. And you get up to the line, you know, looking to spike it and it's third down. And Burrow's got a bad pinky. And why risk it? And why risk his pinky getting, you know, getting further, getting further damaged? Trying to throw a meaningless hell mary at the end of the first half when you get ball to start the second half. They were sloppy. They were undisciplined. A lot of offensive penalties that pushed them back throughout the course of that game. That killed and stalled drives. The Bengals were sloppy, not focused, not ready to play. Right from the opening kickoff. They got their heads together to mount up the, 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 the comeback to bring them within two. But as soon as the mix and fumble happened and they all of a sudden were down nine again, it was a two-possession game again, they just, they, they, I hate to say that, that they quit, but their energy was gone. It just was. It 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 was it that that was the deciding moment of the game, and that was the coup de grace to the Chargers' victory and it victory and it shouldn't have been, it should have been, next play let's go next possession next opportunity let's go, because it wasn't like Mixon fumbled the ball Chargers got it, they got they you know the Chargers offense went back out there onto the field they milked the clock a little bit and then they put the ball in the end zone where they just wore down the Bengals with every snap, every down, every play. Where they got the ball, milked the clock, got a couple of first downs, methodically marched down the field, then put the ball in the end zone, and then it was like, oh, game's over. It didn't happen. It was mix and ran, dropped the ball, scoop and score. Play took about like play took about like five, five, ten seconds. Five to ten seconds, if that. Herbert and the Herbert and the Chargers offices didn't step on the field not one time. You immediately got the ball back. You literally walked off the field, went to the sideline for the extra point in the kickoff, and were right back there out there on the field. And and they and they just let that one little mistake by Mixon suck all the life and all the energy out of them that they spent so much time and effort building to get within the two points at 24-22. But the Bengals were sloppy. They were undisciplined. They were not ready to play. From not, ju- not just the offensive line giving up the six sacks, but Burrow turned over the football left and right. The receivers not being able to catch a freaking thing after the possession after the mix and fumble. Mix and fumbling. Everybody, literally from Zach Taylor and the coaching staff 
trickled all the way down to freaking Ever McPherson, who missed the who 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 missed the kick. It literally trickled down from the head guy from Zach all the way down to the to the to the gosh freaking place kicker. Give him credit for showing some fight and showing some grit, making it interesting. But you get but it means nothing if if you don't finish the deal by winning the game. And all in all, that's what really counts in the end. And I'm concerned about this team. They got Kansas City, they got Baltimore in their building, they gotta go on the road to play Cleveland. They go to Denver, which should be a winnable game. But first, they host San Francisco this weekend. And their defense and their pass rush. I'm concerned. And I don't know whether it's the bangle in me from, you know, of, 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 the, of the trauma and the pain experienced in years and seasons past or what. But I got a very bad, eerie feeling that the Bengals will be right there down the stretch of the season and they'll miss the playoffs by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin because of performances in the Cleveland game, in the Jet game, in the Bear game in Week 2, and more recently on Sunday at home against Los Angeles. 9-8, and missed the playoffs. I hope and pray to God that I'm wrong. And that it doesn't happen. But I got a weird feeling that it might. Because they have lost. And I understand. They got seven wins. They hold the sixth seed. And they're only a game back of the division. And all it takes is for them to get a nice little hot streak in between the 49er game and a Brown game to win the season. And all is forgiven. They win, the pl- they win their division and finish the season with, with 11 or 12 wins. I get it. Or 13. Best case scenario if they run the table. But I got a weird feeling they're going to rue the day that their offense was asleep at the wheel and was embarrassing against the Bears in Week 2. And they're going to rue the day where they let Mike White throw for over 400, I believe 450 yards. My memory serves me correctly. I don't have the stat sheet in front of me. But for allowing Mike White to throw for over 400 yards on Halloween night, or excuse me, on Halloween afternoon against the Jets on the road, coming off of that emotional, gritty, eye-opening Ravens game the week before on the road. And they're also going to rue the day that they got punched in the mouth at home by the Browns the week after. The only good game the Browns have played, honestly, in about a month and a half, to be quite honest with you. And they're going to rue the day where they let the Chargers come into their building and they had to escape from a 24 to nothing deficit, mix and fumbles when they're within two. And, and they essentially, emotionally, at least how it appeared to me, in my opinion, from my, pers- from my uh, vantage point, they essentially waved the white flag after the mix and fumble when they went down nine. They're going to rue the day. I got a bad feeling, bad feeling. They're going to rue the day. Of those three losses in particular. And quite honestly, they should have won the Packer game, all things being equal as well. But I give them a, I give them a pass from the Packer game because I didn't expect them to play Green Bay that well. They should have won the game, but I didn't expect them to play that well. But those three losses might come back to bite them. 
I pray to God that it doesn't, but I got a bad feeling that it might. Take a break. Back to close out the program right after this. We welcome you back to the I'm Telling TIS podcast. Closing out the program with just a uh, couple, uh, with just one note to get to as far as college football is concerned. Sunday afternoon, they released uh, the uh, CFP final, final four rankings for the college football playoff. Um, you will have, uh, here's, uh, you got Alabama is your number one, having beat, uh, having beat, uh, Georgia, an absolutely phenomenal, shocking victory to say the least. Shocking, shocking in a sense that you thought that Georgia had finally turned the corner and this was going to be their year to beat Alabama. Off of the, they had a ten nothing lead to begin the game. Let's not forget that either. I had a double digit lead to begin the game, and all of a sudden, you know, here comes a young the quarterback, and all of a sudden, you know, it's same old, same old when it comes to Georgia getting their behinds kicked by the uh, by the Alabama Crimson Tide, let alone in their own state at a Mercedes-Benz Stadium down in Atlanta, Georgia. They are number one. Michigan uh, beat the living hell out of Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game. That was a non-competitive football game. You knew Michigan was going to uh, was going to win that game. Uh, essentially, right from uh, the uh, right from the uh, opening quarter, they are the number two seed at twelve and one. The Big Ten uh, Conference, cha- the uh, the Big Ten Conference champions, Georgia. Like I said, their lone loss of the season to Alabama uh, on the in the uh, conference championship game. They fall all the way down to number three. They were originally ranked number one heading into last weekend. They fall down two spots. Uh, and Cincinnati, who took care of business against Houston in the AAC uh, Conference Championship game on Saturday afternoon, they took care of business against Houston on Saturday. They get the fourth and final spot at 13 and 0 for the college football playoff ranking. So you get two, so you get one team out of the AAC, one team out of the Big Ten, and two out of the SEC. Ohio State. Notre Dame are on the outside looking in. They are out. Uh, Oklahoma State, who had an opportunity, they lost the hard. They lost to Baylor in a Big Twelve championship game uh, in heartbreaking fashion, falling one yard short of the goal line. There at the end, down in Dallas, uh, Oklahoma State at number nine, Baylor at eleven and two, ranked at seven. Uh, Mississippi, Ole Miss ranked at eight. MSU with that with that impressive victory over Michigan uh, back in the month of I believe that was in November if I'm not mistaken either November late October uh, they are all the way down to uh, number ten they finish uh, their regular season at ten and two as well so you will have your college football playoff. Uh, championship game you will have, or excuse me, your uh, semifinal games, excuse me, that game, will, the semifinal games will take place on New Year's Eve. Uh, Cincinnati and Alabama at the uh, Cotton Bowl, Cotton Bowl Classic, that semifinal game number one, that game's New Year's Day at 3.30 on e- that game should be, that game should be on ABC, not on ESPN, but it is. Alabama opens up as 13 and a half point favorites. And the other semifinal game, this one is the Orange Bowl between Georgia and Michigan down at a Hard Rock Stadium. That is at 7.30. That game also should be on ABC on uh New Year's Eve on New Year's Eve uh at seven thirty. Georgia opens up as seven and a half 
point favorites against uh, number two ranked uh, Michigan. So those are your two semifinal games to keep an eye on uh, as we get as uh, the end uh, towards the end of the month. Got plenty of time to break down the uh, college football playoff. It's weird, you know. College football is the only sport is the only sport where you know they got their regular. You got all the hype with their regular season, you know, the rivalry re- weekend, and then conference championship weekend, and then it go and then you have the Heisman Trophy uh, ceremony, typically the same weekend of the Army Navy game, and then college football goes away and goes to sleep into oblivion. Until until around the week of Christmas and the week of uh, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and then it comes back again, and then uh, and then another week or so goes by, and then you have your national championship game, rather than you know have rather than having all rather than having you know the ending of the of the regular season rivalry weekend, uh, their conference championship weekend, and then have like a week or two break, and then follow. Like I, I understand that they want the feel of New Year's Eve, and you know because New Year's Eve and New Year's Day is 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 college football's holiday, so to speak. NFL has Thanksgiving, NBA has Christmas, baseball has the Fourth of July, uh, has you know has Fourth of July has a uh, Fourth of July. And it has that holiday, so so the New Year's Eve, New Year's Day is kind of college football's day, but you know, but the layoff in between, you know, conference championship Saturday and the and the and the final four and the bowl games and the national championship that's like the second week of January, t- too long of a layoff. Too long. and again, you know, at the minimum. Those two, those two uh, semifinal games should be on ABC, not on ESPN. Especially the night game, night game seven thirty. What are you going to put World News tonight with David Muir? That game should be on ABC. Period. Should be on ABC. So should the national championship game, by the way, as well. If it's on, who who cares? It's on a Monday night. That 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 should the national championship game should be on ABC. I've screamed and yelled about that for years. It should be on ABC. But again, who the hell am I? But um, that's where you stand as far as the college football is concerned between now and the end of the month. And that is another episode of the Amtelica TIS podcast in the books. If you like what you heard and you're brand new to the program, please subscribe if you haven't already. Share with your friends and family. Let them know what you think. Leave a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Follow yours truly on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatella underscore podcast. And the show on Twitter at Amatella underscore it is. It is your boy Josh Shields. I will talk to you guys on Friday. Y'all stay safe. See ya.